day, fair listeners, and welcome to another instalment of the Mailbox Rogues Gallery. My name's James. My name's Sean, and I feel like I've been thrown back in time to uh, an era of maidens and knights on horsebacks. Perchance ye (laughs) listen to our fine podcast, fellow traveller. What is a podcast? I'll tell thee, uh, spelt (laughs) P-O-D-C-A-S-T-E. Ye oldie podcaster. Right, I see, yes, of course. Thank you for spelling that out for me. That's quite all right. Fair maiden. (laughs) You're quite welcome. (laughs) Well, we're wildly off topic already there. That's a good Mm. start, I think. (laughs) So, um, who are we going to put in our metaphorical mailbox of rogues this week? Today, we're going to be talking about Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Dame Agatha Christie. Really? It says so on Wikipedia. Unless she's got some fans who are, who are like, this is their way of, of petitioning the Queen. She? Agatha Christie. She's a woman. Hang on. <laughs> Agatha. Agatha is a woman's name. That's a bloke's name. A- Agatha. <laughs> You're thinking of Arthur. You're thinking of... Agatha. <laughs> Agatha Christie. I can see now why you got confused. No, I'm pretty. I, I'm ninety percent sure that Agatha Christie okay. was a woman. Well, it's a very, very masculine lady's name. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, we can agree on that at least. Yeah. So she was a dame, a panto dame, probably. Oh, like Dame Edna. Yeah, she was. She was a lot like Dame Edna. Actually. Although Dame Edna was a man. Oh, there we go. See, there's a theme here with the dames. <laughs> there's nothing. And I, I recall actually seeing her uh, she, when she was being interviewed a while back. She came out and said, "Hello, possums." Yeah. Just yeah. Like, walked out with her hairy legs. I don't know. She doesn't fit into our ideas of a binary gender system. She might consider herself trans or uh, something else that doesn't fit into our straight-laced notions of gender. She was very much ahead of the curve in that regard, not just uh, as a novelist, but also in terms of gender equality. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why she got knighted and became Sir Dame Agatha Christie. <laughs> Where do you want to start with her? Um, she wrote books. Yeah, she wrote a few books. Wrote books here, wrote books there. <laughs> Mad for books, yeah. <laughs> um, she's from our neck of the woods, actually, isn't she? She is, yeah. She had a house in Torquay. And she's from Torquay. And she's from Torquay. Same place as uh, Forty Towers. Do you think there was ever any crossover there? I think her house was in fact Forty Towers. I think that's where she wrote a lot of her uh, a lot of her books. That's <laughs> why so many of her bumbling characters are called Manuel. Yeah. One of her uh, Poirot novels um, is actually uh, influenced by the uh, the thing that happened at that hotel, uh, where there was a dead body in the hotel, and uh, Basil had to try and uh, hide it from the rest of the guests. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah she, everybody was gathered together in the uh, drawing room to watch Basil Goot step around. <laughs> But no, she, uh, she almost, uh, she didn't have a very good start in life if she wanted to be a novelist because her mother uh, wouldn't uh, let her read, wouldn't teach her to read. You don't, you, you don't need to be taught to read, do you? You just sort of know it. So, well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it helps being uh, told what letters mean what. No, I just figured it out, I think. I just, um, I think the way I remember it is my dad just uh, sat me down, he took his pipe out of his mouth and said, son... Here's a copy of War and Peace, and you're not going out to play until you've read every word and can recite it. And uh, it took me uh, probably about four or five hours, I would say. You know, mm. it was slow going. Jesus, yeah. It was hard work, um, but I did it. And I got out and ran around, played with my Beyblade. <laughs> well, so, put me in my place. Yeah, so I feel it's fair to say me and her both had the same start in life. Yeah. I mean, it says uh, in a few places I was reading about her, it says that she was homeschooled. Mm. But if her mum's not teaching her to read... 
not much of a home homeschooling, you could say. She's kind of being well, maybe just as a very extended break time. She's just playing hopscotch nine until three thirty every day. Halfway through, she goes to the lunch hall, has turkey twizzlers and mash. <laughs> oh, 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 take me back! <laughs> take me back! I've got such fond memory of turkey twizzlers. I've never seen that same hue of orangey brown <laughs> anywhere else on this planet. It was invented for that food stuff, and it's, ever since they've gone, I've never seen that colour. The closest thing is like um, a rusty doorknob. Yeah, like rust, like proper rust. Well, it's because there's so much oxygen in turkey twizzlers. They breathe a lot. They've got big lungs, turkeys. Yeah, so they, turkeys uh... do, yeah. <laughs> Which is why their twizzles come out orange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh. cut off their twizzlers. Turkey's like, oh, my twizzlers. <laughs> well, they can live without them. A lot of people don't realise that. If anything, when their twizzlers start dragging along the ground, <laughs> it's, it's good for them. It, it hinders them um, when they've got really long twizzlers that are that dangerous. You know, they trip over them. Yeah, don't get your Twizzlers in a twist. That's what he's just Cut say. them off. Yeah. <laughs> Famous turkey farmer expression. <laughs> so she she didn't do much of schools. Still, she managed to learn to read. Yeah, off her own back. Just like me, I also learned to read off of Agatha Christie's back. Very flat surface, her back, when she just kind of is on all floors. You right. use it like a table. That's handy, yeah. yeah. Well, while we're talking about like her childhood and her early years, the first novel she ever wrote, uh, the reason she wrote it wasn't so much to do with any kind of like grand aspirations of, of writing. It was a, a dare from her sister. She wrote a novel on a dare. Yeah, I know. Tell me. Yeah, and then she's like one of the most. Uh, I think she's like the most translated author in in the world most widely translated she after the bible and shakespeare she's the best-selling author in the world yeah that's crazy and that started on a dare yeah a double dare blimey we should all be daring each other to do extraordinary things shouldn't we i tell you what um i dare you to write the great american novel well i've been meaning to write the great american novel uh, for years sean i've uh, only been there once that was disney world but I, I think that I got a good enough grasp of the place. Well, I think Disney World is a kind of microcosm of, of the entire nation. Yeah, I mean, it's a small world after all. So, I mean... <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a lesson that can be learned from Disney World. Yeah, for sure. Any idea what you're going to write it about? Um, so like, well, the great American novel. We need to get all the kind of like salient American points in there. Mm. So there's got to be some Cadillacs. Yeah. Uh, got to have gun violence. The Cadillac of social issues in America, as it's referred to. Yes, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe. Oh, here we go. Great American novel. A car, a Cadillac specifically, mm. goes around shooting people. Yeah, that's that could work. Yeah, in in every state. It, yes. It drives to all 50 states. How it drives to Hawaii, I'm not so sure. Well, it's maybe like it gets a ferry. Yeah, a ferry. <laughs> a ferry to Hawaii. <laughs> Hundreds of miles by boat, yeah. Yeah. It could work, yeah. It would be a slow part of the book, I guess, that bit. I could skip a little bit in that, the journey part of it. Oh, so up until that point, it's it's told in real time. Yeah, it's... Like an a, episode of 24. Yeah, it's, it'll be the first real-time book, this great American novel. Basically, right. how long it takes you to read each word is uh, basically how long it takes for the actions to be happening in the book. Wow, okay. So either read it slowly, or, or, you're, or the author, you, is just going to have to use very short words. Could be quite punchy. Keep up the pace. Car drives off. Police are like, 
oh my god there's been a murder what's going on here <laughs> and like before they know it he's like off into another state yeah crossing state lines and you you could possibly draw some inspiration from agatha christie because a lot of her books were about murderers and the murders that they committed yeah they, well they were kind of like murder mysteries where you didn't really see who the murderer was until towards the end of the the book whereas your whereas this the car you know straight away the mm. car's killing people what's the name of the car is it is like herbie it's sentient is it it's yeah it's it's herbie's distant cousin it's oh, like yeah. it's like the same uh expanded universe Oh, finally, someone's expanding on the Herbie universe. We got... It's been years. <laughs> been waiting decades for this. We've got Herbie, um, Budgie the helicopter, Thomas the tank engine. Magic school bus. Magic school bus. Just sentient vehicles. Yeah. All sharing this same uh, world. Yeah. And it's just that Caddy the Cadillac is um, taking a bit more of a darker turn. That's the name of the Cadillac in the great American novel. Caddy. Caddy. Hmm. <laughs> I know we're just sort of spitballing at the moment, as an American would say, but maybe you should just go back to the drawing board with that one. I don't know. I've got the title already in my mind, like mm-hmm. in nice big font. Mm-hmm. Caddy, the killer car, um, colon, the great American novel. <laughs> well, if you put it in the title and it gets published, well, then that's... Do you know what that's called? Um, nominative determinism, isn't it? I suppose by naming it that, it is bound to be the great American novel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Prophetic. Yeah. And not pathetic. Is that, that'll be in quotation marks on the back of the dust cover. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be, that'll be the, the review, yeah, from... Uh... Richard and Judy Book Club. Yeah, well, I'd love for them to give it a read. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be right up their alley, I think. Killer cars. <laughs> uh, maybe they could make a uh, Pixar film out of it. Cars 4? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think... Yeah, the film rights to it, cool, because uh, there's a lot of... Uh, it's very much a time of adaptations and uh, mm. film series. And what with it being Expanded Universe, that's very popular oh, at the yeah, mo- very moment. yeah, very at the moment, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we could have a killer car. Who'd play the car? I guess it would be a voice. I don't know if I'm going to have an actor, like, pretend to be a car. Yeah. But, like, a, a voice. I don't know if anybody's got the acting chops for it. No, um... Not since Clark Gable died. Nah, probably not. Uh, even Day-Lewis, I don't think he has the range to mm. uh, to pull off a car. Sorry, did you just say Dale Winton? <laughs> I said Day-Lewis, but now you mentioned a Dale Winton, <laughs> I don't know, he might, he might be able to pull off a car. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. His eyes are quite headlight-like, aren't they? Yeah. Kind of like... Headlamp-like. <laughs> yeah, bulbous and sticking out, and he's got, he's got Buscemi eyes. That's the point, actually. If we can kind of superimpose his eyes onto the headlamps ah, of the car, so you yeah. kind of like, no, he doesn't even need to speak. You just see him as like oh, that's Steve Buscemi's character. Yeah, yeah. But he still kind of like talks like they do in in the film Cars, where the kind of like the the grill kind of the like moves up and up down. Like mouth, yeah. yeah, and we know he's good for voice work because he did Monsters Inc., didn't he? he? Played Randall. Oh yeah, so Pixar already have a relationship with him. Yeah. So that's that's all sorted. Yeah. Okay. I like this. I like this. Guess I need to write the book first, though, don't I? Well, why not, why not write it as a screenplay and a novel at the same time, like Arthur Z. Clarke did with um, 2001 A Space Odyssey? That's true, yeah. I'll do a page, a screenplay page of uh, novel. I'm sure you that's how probably, he did it. You could probably cheat and just write the same thing on each page and then put little, for the screenplay, write things like, in brackets, Caddy runs over, man. Oh, no, it was guns, wasn't it? Yeah, was it? yeah, yeah. He's, it's he's... got guns. Is it? Is it like a kind of James Bond style car where it's got guns attached to it? 
I was thinking they're like proper guns, like pistols. Yeah. But they're kind of like fastened. Uh, duct taped to the yeah. <laughs> and they the triggers are pulled by sheer will alone. Wow. Yeah. Will Smith's in the movie. <laughs> yeah, sheer will. Yeah, Harry Shearer and Will Smith mm. play the. One um, on each side for a trigger. Yeah, they play the guns. Oh, okay. Are there any characters in this film that aren't inanimate? I mean, like, that wouldn't, wouldn't in our reality be inanimate. Um, I don't know. Pixar are big on that. They like bringing inanimate objects to life. Yeah. So, um, maybe I've... like even the the actual humans. Maybe they could be like um, salt and pepper pots. Yeah, or garden furniture. Yeah, yeah, I like mm. that. Yeah. How about, I'm thinking, um, and just bear with me here. Yeah. Jedward for the fuzzy dice. Oh yeah. Hanging off the uh, rearview mirror. Maybe if I want to get the American market, though, I don't know if they'll be uh, quite as uh, quite as well known over there. What's an American version of Jedward? What's America's answer to Jedward? Uh, Ant and Deck. <laughs> Are they American? I think they're America's answer to them. They're not right. necessarily American. The Geordie part of America. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. There's a big Geordie community over mm. in the States. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like in LA, you've got Chinatown. and then yeah. it's like Geordie got, Town. Got, well, it's just called the Toon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes there's like gang violence erupts between the two of them. Oh, it's a, it's a right mess. I'm just, I'm just imagining that now, just like the... This kind of beautiful shot of this uh, car voiced by Steve Buscemi just killing lots of people. And then the dice just kind of like, as the comic relief is like, Hey man, you just shot that man over there, Lee. <laughs> but you're a grown man. <laughs> uh, so the, in this, they're playing PJ and Duncan, like from Biker Grove in the 90s. I don't yeah. Remember. Oh, and there's like a bit where the uh, the headlamps get covered in uh, in tar. Mm. And then one of them goes, he can't see, man. He's blind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like this. I like the uh, Biker Grove element. Yeah. That appeals to me. I'm still not entirely sure that would appeal to the American audience. I guess there's got to be some give and take. For the great American novel, the inclusion of Biker Grove references seems a little at odds okay, to well, me. We'll, we'll beef up the, the Americanness of the, uh, the two wing mirrors. So yeah, Hollywood, if you're listening, call me. Or any book publishers. Yeah. Well, I think I think we've got a bit of a glimpse of the motivation that Agatha Christie first had when it came to writing her first novel. I think if you can run with that as well, then you you know you're in it to win it. Yeah, exactly. She didn't care. She just did it because <laughs> her sister said it might be a good idea. I fucking dare you to write a novel. I fucking dare you. Yeah, I'll write a novel. It'll be the best novel ever. No, it won't be. It'll be shit. No, it'll be good. Just you wait. I'll, I'll write it right now, look. I've got a pen in me and everything. <laughs> and that's the tale of Agatha Christie. <laughs> of course, her greatest contribution to the world is inspiring countless quiz teams up and down the country in pub quiz nights with the name uh, Agatha Quiz Team. <laughs> No, I had that one. You've not had that one? No. Oh, that's a good one. I like uh, naming my team the winners. Mm. Because if we do win, it looks cool. But if if we lose, it's quite funny. Yeah. Again, nominative determinism, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm big <laughs> on that, actually. I didn't quite realise until <laughs> That's my thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, you're called James Birch, and 
you are married to a birch tree. That's right. Yeah. 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 Eight, eleven years now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Is it really eleven years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Time's flown, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Since she was a sapling. <laughs> <laughs> Which was controversial at the time, because not only was it <laughs> yeah. cross-species, but also we were worried about the age difference. It was legal, everything was legal, yeah. but we were still a little bit concerned. But I guess I was uh, un- under the age of... Fifteen. Uh, Fifteen, yeah, so... Yeah, it would have been all right. Yeah, well, I just think... Um, at the time we viewed it as Catherine Zeta-Jones and Michael... Flatley. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Michael Flatley, yeah. But actually, no, you, you st- it stood the test of time, your love. Yeah, we showed the naysayers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any trouble in paradise? I'd, I'd, I'd feel a bit bad uh, saying behind her trunk. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, 11 years, you know, it's, it's not always, uh, it's not always easy. No. No. Well, I don't, I don't know if this is the right forum to, to bring this up, but um, I have heard a few rumors on the grapevine oh. um you know this can't be easy for you to hear but there was talk around the town of squirrels running up and down her trunk i've, I've tried to ignore it for for so long now but it's difficult because you put 11 years into something and then you hear these rumors about squirrels hiding their nuts in her yeah and um you don't want to believe it you try to kid yourself yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should set her on fire. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, let's calm things down a bit. No, no. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure she's perfectly innocent. I'm sure if you go home and talk to her about it, I'm sure she'll she'll have a reasonable explanation for all of the rumours. Let's just keep things cool, okay? I, I'll try. You brought it up. Oh yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry that I did. I'm sorry that I did. I, I just love her, you know. I just love her. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see it in the crazed look in your eye. And the, way, and the way you're clenching the table. Yeah, I'll, I'll put the matches down as well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's move on. Yes, let's. Um, so yeah, Agatha Christie, going back to uh, like her early years and, and her mother, who, as we've already said, wouldn't let her read. She also managed to convince Agatha and uh, and her sister that she was a psychic and she could predict the future. What, that Agatha was a psychic? No, that the mother was a psychic. She told her kids that she was a psychic and she could predict the future. And could she? No, she was a loon. Oh, okay. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Because really, you think if she could predict the future, she would have known that her daughter would probably get some good use out of knowing how to read and write. Well, exactly, yeah. She would have, like, started her on the book straight away. Yeah. I mean, there's not... You know, we're both from Devon. Mm. You know as well as I do, there's not really much call for reading and writing in Torquay. It's just not that sort of place. Not really. It's frowned upon, if anything. Well, yeah, you're just sort of seen as being a bit different, you know, like a bit, oh, you think you're better than us, you can read the road signs. And oh, la dee da, look at you with your biff and chip. Exactly, <laughs> your biff and chip. Magic key, magic <laughs> key my ass. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, fair play to her for turning around when everybody was encouraging her, basically, to be an illiterate cretin for her entire life and uh, making something of herself. Well, yeah, she's written, I think it's right, about like 80-odd novels. It's ridiculous. Crazy. It's, it's weird because she's one of the most widely translated authors, but 
I don't think I've ever like discussed her books with anyone or heard anyone ever recommend her maybe. book. I well, mean, maybe it's the fact that obviously she she wrote them in the language of Torquay, which is a kind of like a regional dialect that is actually only very loosely related to English. It's mostly kind of like grunts and whistles mm. that they have in that corner of Torbay. So it was when it's been translated, it may have been translated into hundreds of languages, but actually never translated into English. No, not proper English. No, no. not the Queen's English. No, like her uh, her seventh novel, uh, Get On, was just like, if you didn't live in Devon, it was just kind of absolute nonsense. Yeah, and we're from Devon, but the other side of Devon, so it still is nonsense to us. Yeah, there is very much a kind of, what do they call it, like a, a circumference, like the further you kind of like go out of this circle, the mm. more it becomes like gibberish. Mm, yeah. One cool uh, fact about her, because like I said, she's not an author that I've ever been that interested in reading any of her work and mm. didn't really know a heck of a lot about her, but... One thing I found quite interesting, she loved surfing. Yeah, I remember reading that, actually. And she was apparently, possibly, one of the first British people to surf standing up. Because up until then, everybody was just sat on their butts doing it. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, no, it never occurred to any of us. I mean, surfing has been massive in the Torbay area for hundreds of years, <laughs> but no one fought to stand up. Not once, no. Fine generation of surfers coming out of uh, Torquay and Torbay. Yeah, yeah. Because that was it. She was quite well-travelled, wasn't she? So she went to a few places around the world where they did surf standing up. Yeah, and she, South Africa and Honolulu. Two of her most famous characters, weren't they? Yeah. South Africa and Honolulu. Yeah, they were a crime-fighting duo. Yeah, yeah. Where were their stories mainly based? Uh, Slough. Slough? Yeah, That's... they're a pair of Slough detectives. Oh, gritty. <laughs> It's funny, I would have said slough. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those place names where it's like um Gwent as mm. well, where it's just like such a pedestrian sounding yeah. like uh like splatting porridge on a plate. It's like <laughs> it, it's like the yeah. place name equivalent of that. <laughs> slough. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Any slough listeners? I meant every word of it, to be honest. Yeah. I'm not going to defend my actions. Porridge slapping slough monkeys, <laughs> as we refer to them in this corner of the country. Uh, slough has had such a bad rap since The Office. <laughs> that's, it really that's has. That's probably the only thing I know it from. It's his greatest export, and I would be surprised if it was even filmed there. It was just set there. So, yeah, surfing. She loved to, loved to surf. To hang ten. She also invented that saying. Yeah. And that's because number of murder victims in her books that were hung. Yes, that's or hanged, right. I should say. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Hanged ten. <laughs> <laughs> hey, watch me hanged ten. <laughs> Everybody like, what's what's this uh, what's this middle aged white lady doing? Well, it was a it was a, like a viral marketing stunt for her, her books. Yeah, that's right, she yeah. Had a, she had a book called The Hanged Ten. And uh, so she went out and she would do these incredible surfing moves around Torbay and then she'd be like I'm doing a hanged ten, and then everybody be like, "Wow, I've got to find out. I've got to find out more." Everybody's rushing into Waterstones. Yeah, it's like, "Oh, it's a novel. Here you go." And then they look in the the, the kind of dust cover. Mm. It's like, "Oh, that, that woman's picture in the back. That's that's the lady that was surfing." Mm -hmm. Oh my god, because it, it worked for her. That's that's why I guess she's one of the most widely purchased authors because of her stint as a, a surfer. commercial surfer. Yeah. Well, I think, as I, as I remember it, she just used to surf around the world throwing books at people. That's right, yeah. If you were lucky, you caught it. If you were unlucky, it hit you in the side of the head. She had one of those T-shirt cannons, <laughs> like, specifically <laughs> yeah. for her books. Yeah. 
that's why none of her books could be more than uh, 500 pages long because otherwise they get lodged in the canon yeah. and it backfires <laughs> <laughs> you know these days that's commonplace when it comes to viral marketing but it, she was a real pioneer she set the trend for yeah, sure yeah yeah one thing i think that we should talk about you can't mention agatha christie with uh, her most famous creation the belgian detective liam gallagher that's right liam gallagher yeah yeah he was good he was he was good uh, at uh, sno- sniffing around Sniffing. Poking things out. Yeah, had a, a keen eye, great wit, and a fierce intelligence. <laughs> all things you would associate with that man. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, no, the uh, Belgian detective, uh, Poiret. Poiret, yes. So I've heard some other people pronounce it like um, Poirot or something. But it's, it's got T no. on the end, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's got T on the end. It's Poiret. Poiret. Which yeah. makes sense because he was also a, a parrot. How was he? He was a parrot who solved crimes. Okay, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. It's true. In the latest retelling of Murder on the Orient Express, wasn't he played by Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, not very faithful adaptation, I felt. No, no, because Kenneth Branagh is, if I'm not mistaken, a human man. Yeah, that's not right. Not a parrot. No, yeah. Same with uh, David uh, Suchet, who uh, played him for all those years on television. He's also not a parrot. He's also not a parrot. He's a David. I, yeah, I've yet to see a faithful adaptation of a a, a parrot with a, a big moustache mm. flying around with a Belgian accent <laughs> so, <laughs> solving, crimes. solving mysteries and crimes. She's probably rolling in her grave, isn't she? Yeah, she. Oh, I can't imagine. Well, I guess there were a few adaptations. Yeah, there would have been a few adaptations before she died. I think she died in 1972, didn't she? I think Peter Ustinov played him. Again, not a parrot. Um, Thank you for clarifying. Uh, b- before before any of the others, which I think she would have been alive for, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were some. So she must have, yeah, she must have looked at the the, the final cut of the film, just kind of like excited seeing her beloved creation on the screen. It's like, when's uh, when's Poirot gonna gonna come up? And they're like, oh, there's there's Poirot. She's like, Poirot? Who the fuck's Poirot? Poirot. Where's Poirot? <laughs> Poirot's the parrot. <laughs> Because, I mean, you could almost criticise her for this, but she only actually mentioned that he was a parrot once in the very first Poirot novel, in the first paragraph, and then it was never again mentioned. So you could see how somebody who's, say, picking up the second or third or fourth or fifth novel would maybe even miss that fact completely. That's true, yeah. It was very... uh, It was in the first page, the first paragraph, the first line, the, the first ever novel. His name was Poirot. He was a parrot. He went down the street one day and it just kind of like yeah. sailed right past it. So yeah. I, I can, I can uh, forgive the studio executives, I guess. It's, um, it, it is almost our own fault. It's not a popular opinion, I know. I mean, the, that character of Poirot was uh, so beloved by everyone mm. that when they released the the final novel where Poirot actually dies. Mm. They're kind of like he dies in like a really dramatic way. Someone forgets to feed him seed. That is, yeah, that's very dramatic. <laughs> and he just yeah. like they're starving. There's a lot of tension there as each as the the kind of clock keeps ticking and a, a day or two goes by, and then he's thinking, "Fuck me, I'm getting really hungry." <laughs> yeah, he, he like eats his famous mustache that yeah. the character has. It's like the way he he tries to kind of sustain himself, but it's it's not enough. And that's really symbolic, isn't it? Because without the mustache, he he's just not Poirot. <laughs> no, that's so, right. 
you know once you get to that point as a reader you just kind of know this is it you know even if we were to survive he'd be so changed mm. by this whole happenstance that he, he really wouldn't have a life worth living better he die at this point i remember that's what i thought when i was reading it yeah brought a tear to my eye mm. i mean obviously they just taxidermied him so he's he's still around at... oh yeah he's like in spirit i guess you can mm. always look to him well no you're... not in spirit in physical sense oh, yeah. but not in spirit in kind of squidgy stuffed <laughs> yeah. parrot form specifically he's around but not in a spiritual sense but yeah when they killed the character off he had a full spread obituary in the New York Times. On the front page, if I'm not mistaken. For a fictional character. Yeah. Now, if I'd had a relative that had died recently, and I was looking <laughs> I was looking in the New York Times, just like, oh, yeah, we've, uh, we've paid to, to, to remember uh, Derek. Um, let's, let's open up and have a, have a look. What? Who's this fucking parrot? <laughs> <laughs> On the front cover. <laughs> you have to go all the way back to the, the obituaries pages, somewhere buried 100 pages in. Yeah. And Derek, he, he was uh, he could have been a war hero. Well, like, was he? Yeah, I'll say for this, he was, yeah. Did a lot for charity. Poor bloody Derek. Yeah, I know, and he, he ended up in the back back pages. Died saving a, an orphanage from blowing up. He saved the whole orphanage? Yeah, he... So it didn't blow up? He jumped on the bomb <laughs> oh. uh, just at the, at the time of the explosion. And he looked at the kids, he was like, you guys get yourselves out of here. I've got a job to do. And they just kind of like, oh, that guy's awesome. They yeah. they leg it out of the orphanage, and then he just kind of like takes the brunt of the bomb. The orphanage is covered in Derek. Yeah. <laughs> but but still very much intact. Which is why they named the orphanage after him. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Imagine a, Where do you live? Uh, <laughs> Derek. <laughs> An orphanage called Derek. <laughs> but yeah, so the relatives are kind of like reading through. Just like, oh, I, I wonder if his, like, beautiful life and uh, great deeds at the end mm. will be remembered. And then they look at a, a front page and see a, a parrot who died of lack of seed. Disgraceful, isn't it? Yeah, it would it would It's not news, me. for one thing. It's not news. Not really, no. I mean, it's obviously a lot of people cared about the character. Maybe this Derek character could figure into your great American novel. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea, because there's a lot going on there. There's... Uh, a war hero. Americans like their veterans. Mm. We'll say he's a Second World War veteran. I mean, I was riveted just by the story of the orphanage. And presumably that's going to be some sort of finale. Yeah, well, maybe um, Caddy the car killer, the Caddy the killer car, mm. um, plants a bomb in an orphanage in, like, the last state, we'll say Alaska, mm. an Alaskan orphanage. And he uh, plants a bomb. Steve Buscemi voice is just like, haha, take that, orphans. Drives off. <laughs> So, sorry, is he the hero of this tale? Let me just... He's an anti-hero. Right, okay. So you are... I mean, at this, at this point, very much more anti than hero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Blowing yeah. up an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know, you, you do tend to relate to an anti-hero on some level. You kind of... I don't know. Uh, maybe in some of the other states, he killed uh, a few paedophiles and rapists and stuff like that in other states. So karmically, it balances out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so he sets he sets off a bomb in an Alaskan orphanage. And um, and then, yeah, Derek. How would this work now? Would we kind of... Would they be, like, the two main characters? And we kind of have one chapter on Caddy, another chapter on Derek? Or does Derek just rock up at the end? Because we won't get any of that stuff about his war days. Maybe his obituary could be the final chapter of the book. 
Or the, or the last half of the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very long obituary. Very bittersweet ending. It's like, and his gallant efforts were memorised forever in the um, back pages of the New York Times, overshadowed by the death of a parrot. The end. So hang on. So the real life scenario of Poirot the parrot having a front page obituary is going to be fictionalised into this story about um, Derek and Caddy the Cadillac. Yeah, so it's, it's going to draw on real life and fictional events. It's very meta. I yeah. realise that now. It's a bit like Forrest Gump in a way. Yeah. No, it's very much the, the Forrest Gump of the killer car genre. <laughs> yeah. Which is what we've been crying out for. <laughs> yeah. Readers across the world. In regards to uh, Poirot, of course, it was very sad. Uh, sorry, Poirot. Poirot, mm, yeah. I should say. Um, in regards to that, very sad that the character died. But there's no reason that the character can't be resurrected. I think we're the, the, the guys to do it. Yeah, I mean, um, Conan Doyle brought back Sherlock Holmes from the dead. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think we should try and revamp Poirot for the 21st century. Do you want to give it a go now? Let's do it. Yeah, why the hell not? So I guess we're going to have to bring the parrot back to life. Mm. Oh, wait, no, I got it. What we could do, maybe very much like Dolly the sheep back in the 90s, mm. maybe Poirot is cloned okay yeah yeah that could work and then they could kind of like clone it to have the mustache that it had eaten and i think to be honest even if you ate your mustache a clone of you would have that genetic memory of the mustache yeah yeah that's true yeah i'm sure it would so they kind of clone pirate this is a kind of uh I'm, I'm now picturing a Jurassic Park star scenario with all these parrots flying around. <laughs> There's nothing but mustachioed parrots everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Sam Neill, <laughs> Sam Neill kind of like pops his head out of the, the back of the truck. Mm. Richard Attenborough goes, Welcome to Poirot Park. <laughs> all these parrots flying in there. <laughs> Mustached parrots going on. Sacre bleu! Yeah, I like that. We'll go with that angle. Yeah. The Jurassic, the Pirate Park cloning right. well, uh, park. Well, fuck you, because this is my great American novel now. This is what I'm doing. Hey, come on. I can have two stories on the side. No, no. This one's mine. You've got yours. It was about Killer Cadillac. All right, fine. Well, I'll help you with yours. Oh, that's very generous. <laughs> <laughs> generous man. Considering we're bitter rivals in the literary world, that's very, very generous. I'm that confident about Caddy the Killer Car. Wow. Oh, so it's a bit of a fuck you to me, then, isn't it? <laughs> I'll oh. throw you some scraps. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rude. Right, so we've got this park that clones famous detective parrots. Uh, so specific. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> Go on. Yeah, so um, I guess Poirot... Is this going to be a book or a film? One then the other. I guess, yeah. People don't read anymore. No. They want the quick version. But yeah, okay, we'll say... We'll do the book and the film concurrently. But yeah, it kind of opens we'll do it as a book it opens on poirot giving a massive squawk and kind of just like sitting up so what is going on here and then uh, richard attenborough is like i've cloned you from your former self who died for a lack of seed mm. we brought you back 40 odd years later in my amazing parrot cloning park he's like fucking hell <laughs> and then he looks in the mirror sees his mustache it's like, oh, thank God. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That would, I mean, I think, as I said before, life without that mustache just wouldn't be worth <laughs> yeah. living for him. And so then he's like milling around the park for a bit. 
He's <laughs> <laughs> the first attraction and the first visitor. <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. And then, oh, this is good, this. We can have like a kind of a Philip K. Dick Blade Runner kind of aspect to it. Uh, what it means to be a real parrot because mm. he's a clone but he's still got the same memories and kind of feelings that the previous parrot had but he's a he's like a replicant parrot it's almost. getting quite philosophical there as well it is yeah, yeah. oh I, you're gonna get a pulitzer prize for this sean i can oh, feel okay, it already okay <laughs> a lot of different angles this is that a journalistic award you can get it for novels can you yeah well, i certainly will <laughs> yeah Mm. They'll just throw every Pulitzer at you. Yeah. Science ones. It's like, hey, it's got some science in it. Throw them a book. Yeah. Might uh, win a Nobel Prize for literature. Yeah, you might do. Mm. Distinct possibility. So, yeah. I tell you what, just, just as an act of friendship, I will release it the year after you release your great American novel. That's very good of you. Thank you. Yeah, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That's the name of my novel. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Well, we'll have to fit some scratching in there at some point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, so he's awake. He's having uh, some kind of existential monologue to himself. And he's at the park. We've got to make sure that there is a murder mystery aspect to it so that the old fans are kept pleased. Uh, so where do we go from there? Well, Richard Attenborough is dead. So they could solve the mystery of his demise. Yeah, so like when he brings him back to life, he kind of, I There's guess, maybe... the mystery of who brought Richard Attenborough back to life. Yeah, maybe the novel might be getting too big now. Maybe that could be a prequel novel. Yeah, who I might who say created that. the creator? <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. But yeah, so I guess Poirot sees Richard Attenborough as kind of like a father, almost, for bringing back... I think as we all do. ...giving him... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> For, for giving him life and uh yeah then he sees him he finds him dead oh how about this mm. he finds him dead the body has a parrot feather sticking out of it oh out of his ass <laughs> out of his ass that's right <laughs> um wow so that the implications there so this is one of those scenarios where he's got to solve the case because somebody's trying to frame him He's in the running. That's right. But at the same time, he's thinking, these memories aren't mine. Mm. Am I the killer? Am I the person who... So he might possibly be solving a murder that he committed. This is getting very readable. This is getting very <laughs> I readable. Gotta, yeah. i got to say, actually, I'm, all joking aside, I would totally read this book. <laughs> yes. Perhaps we could write it as a kind of companion to this episode, like a companion piece to yeah. this episode. I would very much be up for that, a uh, Poirot. A short story, maybe. Yeah. Mm, okay. Something to think about. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, he's solving what could be a murder that he committed. And so there could be all these kind of, like, different avenues that he goes down a few dead ends. And those books, the, the Poirot books, they usually end with a lot of people in a room at the end. And he's like... I've gathered you all here today to uh, tell you who the murderer is. Which I always found quite funny, because if you're a murderer, why the hell would you go to that meeting? Yeah, you just sort of bugger <laughs> off. It's like, you? fuck off, I'm not, I'm not yeah. talking. You're a detective, you think I'm going to talk to you? <laughs> I'd probably just hightail out of that situation as soon as the detective turned up. Yeah, same. So yeah, there's got to be that moment. Gathering in the drawing room. That's right. So he has everyone there. He's like, I'm going to announce now who the murderer is. Do, you, do we do we think we should have it as someone in the room, or should it be that he is the murderer as well? Um, I think he's going to say 
and the murderer is you, and he points one of his feather tips, and he's pointing at uh, a mirror, and it's a reflection of himself. And that's the big reveal. Oh my god, and does it just end there? No, then the mirror reflection of him starts running away, <gasps> and it cuts back to him in the room, and he's still pointing his finger at the mirror. So how is that mirror reflection running away? Another, Perfect lead up to a sequel. Another clone. Another clone trapped in the mirror realm. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this. So we've got... <laughs> but this is why it leads into the sequel. Like you say, it's too much for one book. So we've got classic Poirot. We've got a bit of Blade Runner in there. Mm. We've got uh, some Jurassic Park. It's mostly Jurassic Park. Yeah, mostly. And then it turns into some kind of other dimensional kind of weird topsy-turvy Alice in Wonderland kind of world at the end. Mm. Possibly with dark undertones where there's killers from this other dimension who are themselves clones coming into our world to kill our big British uh, figures. I'm starting to get a headache. (laughs) (laughs) It's very conceptually dense, this. I mean, you know, I think sci-fi has been looking for some high-concept ideas for a little while. It's been dumbing down, so it really needs a shot in the arm like this. (laughs) Sci-fi and murder mystery, they both both need it. Okay, I say when it comes to um, Poirot reboot, we'll leave it at that for now. I think any more ideas is possibly going to just make it a bit too dense. We'll just leave it at that for now. When I did a little bit of reading about Agatha Christie, the one thing that I found really interesting is that she disappeared for 10 days. I was going to mention this myself. I thought perhaps you would. In 1926, Mm. she disappeared for 10 days. Where was it? Uh, In 1926, where was anybody going? There was nothing to do in 1926. Roaring 20s, so maybe like a, a lion show? The Roaring 20s in Torbay. I don't think there's much going on. <laughs> it was more like a whimper than a roar yeah, in Torbay, I guess. Yeah, in the 20s. So it was, it was her husband admitted he was having an affair. Mm, that's right. And, and left her that weekend to go be with his mistress. And then she disappeared for 10 days and there was a national manhunt. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit funny. Her car was found abandoned near a lake called... In fact, you could almost have like some kind of eerie music playing under this while we're talking. So her car was found abandoned near a lake called Silent Pool. Ooh. 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 Which is a location where one of the characters in her novel drowned. Really? Yeah. Had that happened before she disappeared, though? Yeah. She wrote it before she disappeared. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And turns out she checked into a hotel. The name that she used was the surname... Of her husband's lover. Messed up. It's kind of heartbreaking. It's it's very sad and very heartbreaking. Well, I wish she hadn't said that, because now we can't make fun of it. Yeah, we'll find a way. We'll we'll power through. (laughs) Uh, She probably farted at some point. (laughs) And we're back in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so when the police found her, she said she had absolutely no memory of the, uh, the entire thing. Well, I mean, we can both draw the same conclusion, can't we? Yeah. Let's both say it at the same time. Okay. Free. Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say three, two, one. And okay. then I was going to say aliens, but... Uh, okay, well, well... <laughs> it's definitely aliens, isn't it? You don't get many alien abductions around the Torbay area, but when you do, it's a best-selling novelist known the world over. Yeah, well, they're looking for intelligent life, so they're probably sticking away from that kind of area. <laughs> I work with people from the Torbay area. 
know why I'm doing this to myself. <laughs> Put myself in this kind of situation. But no, yeah, it's all very uh, suspicious. I found the thing with the car, like near a location where a character of hers drowned, to be very strange. Just, but, just but, out of interest, what model was the car? It wasn't a Cadillac, was it? Oh my god. Oh. Uh, so like... It, maybe the car murdered her. And then Richard Attenborough cloned her. And that's how she appeared again with no memory. Oh, we've come full circle. Jesus Christ, we accidentally predicted it. Mystery solved. Well, I think even Poirot himself wouldn't have managed that one. <laughs> I think we should be pretty pleased of ourselves. Yeah, an age-old mystery, wondering where she'd gone. She'd been killed by a car, cloned back to life. Lived that life for another 50 years as, as her. I suppose, like most mysteries, you've got to apply Occam's razor. In that the simplest explanation is most likely to be the truth. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's... Um, maybe the car was responsible for abducting her. It's like an alien car. There's a twist for you. Yeah, and so then she was actually abducted and cloned still by Richard Attenborough. Mm. Who I guess... Is would... also an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It's kind a tough of like... truth. Yeah, but we've got to face the facts. Richard Attenborough was an alien. <laughs> Yeah, so Agatha Christie might still be uh, floating around in space if they have... Uh... The vast depths of space. <laughs> <laughs> it's this best-selling author from Torquay <laughs> floating around <laughs> in the vast depths of space. I mean, she's in a spaceship. She's with the aliens. Oh, okay. In space, nobody can hear you write murder mystery novels. <laughs> Why would she have been abducted? What for, like scientific? She wanted to pick her brain. She had obviously had a great, a great knack for writing. Yeah, maybe they were fans. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Maybe it was a bit like uh, Misery, the Stephen King story about um, yeah. a, a fan right. abducting her favorite author because she <laughs> kills off her favorite character. Um, maybe they they just had an inkling that Poirot, sorry, Poirot mm. was was due to you know get it, and they thought we'll get in here early, abduct her early. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe the race of aliens aren't your typical little green men. Maybe they have some parrot traits. Mm. So they say they see uh, Poirot as uh, something of like a unique godlike figure in Earth literature, mm. and they kind certainly of... that's how I see him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then they, as you say, trying to She's stop her from being murdered. She could be some sort of prophet to them, a holy truth speaker. That's true, yeah. She could be on the parrot planet, as we speak, kind of as a something of a deity. He's hoping. <laughs> I like that thought. Yeah, it's, it's quite a nice... It's, it's nicer to think that than... Uh... Than that she just died. Yeah. This has been a really nonsensical one. <laughs> I know, I like it. Like... This, this, this has been one. If you came in ten minutes in... You've missed it. You know, it's like you've got to you've got to catch the start of the tangent. <laughs> so there we go. The life and work of Agatha Quiz Team. Yep. In may, all its glory. May her clone rest in peace, and may she find peace among the stars. <laughs> I think that's what's etched on her tombstone. The clone's tombstone, obviously. Oh, that's prophetic. Yeah, yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think I've learnt a lot. I think it's been a good experience. If only for the fact that we're now going to be best-selling authors. Each of us. Yeah. In our own right, yeah. Oh, we've got some great ideas. Gold dust. We should probably get a kind of a trademark copyright on these two ideas before putting this out, just because I imagine 
I mean, they're dynamite ideas. Mm. I think people would be quite quick to steal them. Well, if if we each work on our respective books in the time that I'm also editing this episode of the podcast, we can try and have them finished by the time this episode comes out. Oh, yeah, we can knock them out quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, I'm going to get to uh, writing that book. Yeah, and I'm going to get to writing mine and also my screenplay. Can I have some help on the screenplay for mine when you're done with Oh, yours? yeah, of course, yeah. Thank you. Don't yeah. call me Mr. Hollywood for nothing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can give you a hand with that. Cool, thank you. If any listeners have any ideas, perhaps, for where they'd like these great novels to go, we might not necessarily take your pleb ideas to heart, but we'll certainly uh, pay lip service. Yeah. You can contact us at mailboxrogues on Twitter, and also our Gmail is mailboxroguesgallery at gmail.com. Um, or if you just want to let us know how the uh, the podcast is going. Yeah, send us an email. Send us some hate mail. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can take it. I don't think you can, but I can take it. No, I'm I'm far too critical of myself already. Yeah, so I don't, don't worry. I'll, I'll screen them, and uh, I'll do, the worst of them I'll keep to myself. I'll just bury them deep in my heart. Oh, okay. Oh, one other thing as well. Also, when you listen to us, either if you're downloading from iTunes, please give us a star rating and maybe a review as well, because that always goes to help yeah. get the uh, podcast more exposure and share. Share it with people. Tell share, people. Share it. Tell, like it. Tell Share all about it. <laughs> oh yeah, she yeah she needs to hear this podcast. She needs it. I mean, this is she's our target audience. She's our demographic, and as far as I know, it hasn't reached her yet. Yeah, it's it's a crying shame, but I'm I'm sure that when it finally does kind of uh, fall into her lap, she'll love it. She, absolutely, yeah. Hopefully, there'll be like a good a good meaty amount of episodes for her by the time she get, if first hears it. Oh, yeah, yeah, she won't believe her luck. Then it's like, how many episodes? Oh, <laughs> got so much catching up to do. Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, with that in mind, I've been Sean. I've been James. Goodbye. Toodles. Toodles.